Does the iPad record? Mm -hmm. The iPad records too? Mm -hmm. He has your presentation. He has your presentation. Okay, I'm waiting. The one that you sent. Uh, hi, Trustee Charlie. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Any word? No. What's going on? I don't know, so I'm going to resend it this afternoon before I go over Who's there. I'm going to resend everything. Who does it go to? It goes to this girl named, it goes to the other building where Susanna is. Yeah. Um, one of the girls that received it apparently left, and that's what I found out. Um, so they're actually trying to figure out if she actually processed it or what is happening because it, it got stuck in it. Well, you know, I pulled it up today, so I have a copy of it because I asked um, that they pull up another copy and yeah. they need me to sign another copy. But, you know, I was looking through it. You uh, signed a, it. You I know, but is there a receipt from Michelle that's in there? I couldn't figure I saw a receipt from Michelle that's also in that packet. Can you look at the packet and see if that I'll receipt, it. Like it, may, it looks like it's Michelle's receipt. Okay. Maybe they got the mixed one, up. The one that I have and the ones that I sent, I remember I, I, they were all the ones that uh -huh. she had sent me. Yeah. Um, but I noticed it's hers. It probably got stuck with the, the, the scan. When I was so it may, be, it may have gotten included in there, but can you just double check? I will. Because I don't know, maybe Michelle didn't get paid for it. No, she didn't. It was they like $23 or something. Yeah, she got paid for all of it. All is of that hers. online? It was like when I do all of the copies and the scans. Oh, it so it like, wasn't on the thing? No. Okay. The, what they go on for is that the second page of all of the okay. of all of the expenses. It's and we double-check that those yes. receipts are all mine. Yes, all yes. Right. Okay. Well, the sooner the better because I'm, I'm starting to have to pay interest. I know. And, I'm, and I told them not to. So, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. That's Trustee Charlie. Trustee Charlie, and this is Vicki. Hi. And Hi. She's nice to through. meet you. For my business, for me. What? You're, you're leaving? I think they told you. Nobody told me. Michelle and Mike, are you going to tell me? Yeah. When? Two weeks. Well, next week is the day. Oh, my God. Well, welcome, and I'm sorry <laughs> to see you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's where you going? Um, oh, maybe that's going somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Got it. All right. Well, it was nice. Thanks for working with me. I know. Okay. I'll keep in touch in a, a different manner. All right. You guys will see Susanna. Uh, yeah. You'll see Susanna tomorrow. Thank you. 
This one.
Trustee Zorthian, Trustee Badgeri, Banerjee will be coming late. Trustee Charlin, Trustee Devrex will not be attending. Uh, Trustee Hernandez is not here yet. Trustee Jensen, Trustee Lawrence, we have a quorum. Find the application 
understand what processes we implement and how we can get the organization to have one standardized process throughout the system, especially in the making the decision. Our current state, we have open process, we have sentinel and oscillate process, and then we have different committees. Uh, and it's creating that redundancy and that standardization. So uh, I believe my, my plan is to meet with the quality chairs from the three staff, chief of staff, quality teams, have a chief to come up with the standardized process. Do you have a timeline that you hope to have this accomplished? Uh, yes. I, I am. Uh, Hoping that I'll be able to accomplish this, uh, and, and that's enthusiastic about four to six months. But uh, I cannot really have uh, a precise time because, uh, as I'm, I'm studying this uh, data analysis and uh, structures of the medical staff, the medical staff are very different. So I want to really see my data analysis. But uh, my my mission is really to be able to accomplish this in about four to six months. This is like the constant sort of conversation with the quality team, with uh, the Pizokian and Sakira. And on the calendar proposed calendar, which is a position, there is a uh, proposed like in July or August. Some differences between each of the each of the staffs that there are unique differences there. But to have some kind of consistency has been one of the issues that I think has been raised by the board for a long time. So would it help you, or does it hinder you either way, uh, if if completing a peer review process within a year becomes one of the objectives that a board sets for the administration? Uh, I mean, it always helps to have the support of the board and to really confirm uh, uh, the, the vision. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Now, the, the issue is, uh, first of all, to go back. In fact, in my interviewing before coming here, this was the first question you asked me. You know, after process is not a punitive process. Right, it's right. a performance improvement, transparency process to improve the care and safety of the care, efficiency of the care, and to see how we can improve ourselves. Uh, you know, unfortunately, because of various histories and various events, 
uh, I thought if, uh, I'm going to implement a peer review process that doesn't have buy-in from the position leadership and uh, from the, the, the vision of the meaning and purpose of the process, I'm going to fail. So I think now I'm getting there, and I'm hoping in four to six months, certainly we're going to be able to get this together. I, I mean, what do you think? I have a chief of staff. So, um, if I may, the three chief of staff has been discussing um, peer review and we've got the model And um, on our discussion, we kind of were thinking of the idea of having Alameda as a pilot program to initiate the peer review. Uh, process and implement a more of a just culture model. That's what we all agree we're going to do. So that not human doing it's more improving performance and safety for uh, the public care of patients. So we just recently, so I think yesterday, I'm, I met with some of the leaders in Christian Visa Alameda. Just had a dialogue on where we want to, to begin and discuss precisely with this topic. So we're initiating that and we're looking at uh, uh, how we can implement a, a just culture in terms of peer review. So it's just an interesting area of discussion there. We have implemented here before uh, for, for, for published uh, installation guidelines for the network set that goes installation process as it relates to patient care for various service lines and chairs and it goes up to meaning that they don't respond to things that they do. Uh, as far as patient safety, uh, we have uh, used this uh, about uh, a month ago and probably publicized it more and it depends on the web. And this escalation process is using Forcing to the just culture that we escalate, not, not in a punitive way, we escalate, but I'm not getting uh, the support I need to deliver the care for the patients. And, uh, and if I'm concerned uh, about anything, I can speak up because it's something I say something. So uh, we have a clear to do escalation guidelines, and the other medical staff are working on similar processes in terms of escalation guidelines. So this is uh, a little bit uh, different topic, but it is related to, uh, to the peer review process. You know, when uh, we feel that uh, we can improve ourselves as physicians and care of our patients, and we can improve the processes, uh, while we fail sometimes to deliver very standardized best care uh, for our patients. So, uh, I am, uh, more and more getting confident that they can achieve this goal. Okay, I appreciate that. You know, uh, we have the conversations so frequently about, about the importance of a uniform standard across the system. And um, if the organization as a whole is to be a learning environment and a learning community, knowing that there is a system in which everybody is learning, uh, gives, I think, the board comfort who are supposed to, in fact, have the accountability of, of the quality. I mean, that's what the law requires of us to do. So it, it's, it's incumbent, I think, on the part of the board member 
to be able to say that all of our medical staff, whether or not they are located at Alameda or they're located in San Leandro, go through a process that in fact helps them grow or corrects, uh, corrects issues that, that any of them have, but it's done in a standard way so that everybody understands what the rules are. And, uh, so I, I will continue, that's my advantage, is to continue to press that we try to get a peer review because I think it's healthy for our organization. And um, so that will be one of my my concerns, just as a single member of the family. You know, I would say not having experience with the medical staff, that having our quality people supporting all of the committees has brought it closer and closer to being a standardized process. And just culture has really been kind of in the building blocks of the process here. Coming up with the agreements, you know, the credentialing agreements across the board, that took a while. But, but having that being able to complete really, I think, was a major step forward and, and gave us all a great deal of confidence that whatever practicing position is going to be at this place, they can be over there too without having to go through a whole lot of other stuff. So, I mean, there are advantages in the system. Okay, thank you.
I uh, like the, uh, the way if it really works out as they uh, promise, it's like uh, the way that we can access the information across uh, starting from pharmacy to the clinics to uh, other hospital, not just within the AHS system, but uh, other hospital who uh, provide information because, as you know, our patient just composed most of our population we just go to our AHS system, they go other hospitals in the area and some kind of travel. It's really helpful for us to uh, be able to access the information because I can ask the patient what did they do and they will say they told me it's normal or they, they will say they didn't do anything. I found that hard to believe when they say that to me. So, um, that's one of the biggest advantage of uh, electronic medical record. Able to access information on uh, patients' uh, past treatment and uh, past medical history and past medication. Was there something in the server that you found lacking? Well, uh, we sure we're going to find out once we get hands on. It's not how it's hard to access the uh, uh, medical record system. Without really getting into the working on it, so it's, it's not a, they are there to show the product. So they, 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 the way they something that you need to ask uh, the chief information uh, officer uh, about it. Uh, my impression when I went to the demonstration was thinking that they're going to have some uh, computer station set up for some hands-on, but uh, it seems like it's more of a uh, demonstration without any hands-on uh, trial. And I'm not sure what's the next step after this. We scheduled uh, specific uh, services to go and have uh, uh, like small teams and and have demonstration. Yeah. Not, not a demonstration. The hands-on. The hands-on. Hands so, I think there's always a difference right. from 
the company showing you how this works and you sitting down and actually doing it. And so I was interested to see, and why I'm present on this is because this is a huge expense in the organization, huge. And we don't want to make a mistake. And I think that it would give me a great deal of comfort if I'm going to vote on this to know that they have had doctors put their hands on this thing try to work, manipulate it and work with it and can come back with uh, a recommendation as opposed to I was participated in a demonstration and they showed me their availability. I, I think that's a very weak process. And so um, I would ask that we do not vote on this until there's an assurance that there's been enough representation of people putting their hands on this machine to find out what software is the best for the organization. So that's going to be a pressure on my part to, to press. I, I'm, uh, I mean, I would get the exact answer. I, my understanding was it's going to be interactive. It's my understanding for various okay. services. So, so why don't, maybe we could ask David because he come to come yeah. to us yeah. next month about them. Yeah. Because we try to be as much as possible, uh, you know, uh, this specific question we think about, uh, you know, interaction. And, Interaction with the software, interaction with the people from the company. There are several like sort of supporting uh, aspects for it, implementation, and mission, and all of these aspects in the are in the supporting the process. Okay. Let me just ask one other question. Are there going to be site visits? Yes, there will be. Yeah, there will be site visits, action with the uh, medical. Hospital medical staff. Um, just want to uh, point out that um, the medical staff is still concerned about um, the um, certain certain uh, specialty services that we still don't have. And we're getting updates from, from James and uh, Dr. Damalini, and they're mainly um, urology or limited diet coverage and psychiatry. So those are areas which uh, we don't have. Any services anyway, and then joining uh, the other community, bigger community health system. Uh, no, Dr. Raskin. So uh, this will be in July, and uh, we've raised our concern about being able to provide continuity of services. I've met with Dr. Coleman and uh, Dr. Uh, Jamal Dean James, 
little working to make sure that you know, there's we can give services for radiology, especially the the new technology. Okay, is the recruiting issue? Is that so? It is. It's not a recruiting issue per se. Dr. Frolik um, is the head of cardiology here. He actually has a position that is working with our cardiology program in other capacities, and so his intent is to essentially expand that individual's um, practice to cover Alameda as well. And so he's in the, the development process right now of that, but this is an individual who already, again, is on staff here. He is not on staff at Alameda, and so we would need to move through the redemption process if it's agreed that he's the, the right person to fulfill this. One of the asks from the medical staff is that it be somebody who is going to be really in the community and available um, as needed, and that remains to be seen whether the individuals that Dr. Pollock has in mind can provide <coughs> sufficient uh, coverage to meet the needs of Alameda in the way that Dr. Raskin has in the past. And so I think that's the where we are in the process right now. And what about the other question? So we have uh, made progress with urology. There was essentially no urology at Alameda Hospital for, for quite some time. And so the urology group from Highland has begun doing procedures over there, but they're not taking call there, and they do not have the capacity at this time. It's, it's not realistic. So the other piece that's being worked on is to have a, um, a call group that's available in the community um, begin taking call at Alameda Hospital. They've done so in the past prior to our affiliation with Alameda Hospital. So um, Dr. Jamal Dean's contracting group has been um, has re-initiated conversations with them. Um, they have some interest in doing this, but they also have capacity problems. There's an individual who um, provides urology called San Leandro right now, and he has expressed an interest in possibly working at Alameda as well. So we are right now in conversations with both the group that's in the community as well as the gentleman from the San Leandro community to see if we can put together a call panel. So we have partial urology coverage right now, and that's by virtue of the Highland group doing procedures over there. We're trying to build the, uh, the call piece right now. Yes. No, I, I appreciate you, you saying that. Uh, and, and the other piece, that, so to speak to podiatry, there are podiatrists who are practicing in this community in Alameda, but you're right, there are more that we have access to in San Leandro. We have a similar problem with both facilities, and that is the way that we have been compensating the podiatrist. So right now, they are um, better compensated with the commercial patients than they are with the HPAG and other patients. And so the contracting group has been working on a, a new compensation structure so that they can essentially be agnostic about the coverage that a patient has and they can provide the care. And so that's, again, we have our contracting group. I provided a list of names to um, our contracting office earlier this week of the providers that we want to have this new podiatry contract agreement, so we're hopeful that we'll be able to offer them a contract um, in very short order so that we will again have full coverage at both facilities for podiatry. So that's that's another one, and we are talking with, um, um, of course, our, our Karen um, Tribble, who is our new CAO for behavioral health. And so she's working on helping us identify a solution for psychiatry coverage, again, both psychiatry coverage at San Leandro as well as at Alameda. One possibility is telepsychiatry. This is something that we've seen um, work at um, St. Rose. 
So they have telepsychiatry right now, and so that is a way for a community hospital that doesn't have the, the wherewithal to hire somebody directly, and they can access this service. So that's something we're looking at. But um, again, Dr. Trouble is looking at whether John George has the capacity to push this service out as well. And so we are working with her to identify the, the best long-term solution for psychiatry coverage at the community hospital. Uh, I think that's an how does the, the, the use of psychiatry at a hospital work? I mean, is it is it ongoing counseling, or is it an immediate thing with a patient in distress? Well, how, how does that first, it's not a bigger question. It's a great question because it's kind of a multifactorial. That there is the need to place and remove the 5150s, and that's really the, the most pressing urgent need that we have at the community-based hospital. But then there is a need for ongoing therapeutic care, and so. The job one, from my perspective, is just to resolve the 5150 issue because that creates a real log jam in the emergency room as well as our ability to, to move the patients to the right level of care. But I think that the physicians certainly can speak for themselves. They would be interested in seeing more comprehensive solution, um, which is the, the big win that we're seeing. We have uh, you know, psychiatrists, uh, Dr. Hopkins, might elaborate on this. Question, especially you know, in terms of the various needs, San Diego and Alameda Hospital for Psychiatry. This was brought up, and uh, in terms of the uh, model of, uh, of coverage, so you can, you can add to this. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm just a kind of background. I've been at John George for years, and also did consult at Fairmont, and now I've been consult at Highland also. So I've sort of experienced each setting. Um, in terms of what is needed at Alameda and San Leandro, that'll depend partly on the volume that they have, um, how many uh, average consults you have a day in the ER that have an urgent 5150, need. Um, but before they can do that, the county would need to designate that right. facility. So right. that's going to be, and, and historically, they have been very, very reluctant to do that right. for unclear reasons. Um, but yes, if we can get that then designated, then that would work. That's a great idea. I think in person is. Are people to tell us like but if the volume doesn't justify an in-person uh, Psychiatry should be like an easy thing to sort of start 
find, find mm -hmm. at least it gives some comfort to the medical staff of having some access to psychiatrists and mm -hmm. in those situations after hours when you have a patient who uh, you know, is having issues with behavioral issues. Yeah. And let me just say that when we're practicing in the hospital, that historically there has been, and I think this is common in a lot of hospitals, to have a psychiatric liaison um, officer who will do consults on patients that you're concerned about their psychiatric treatment while you're taking care of them for medical or injury reasons, and as well as uh, uh, capacity. Can this person, does this person have the capacity to consent to surgery, for instance? There are a lot of psychiatric questions that we have as internists and the surgeons that we aren't really helping to deal with. In all the patients who are complex care management with uh, frequent EDA visits and admissions, you know, the Behavioral health elements and integrating behavioral health elements is extremely important. So the company is extremely important, you know, interested in developing like sort of uh, a team and uh, process for these patients once they come. Well, sometimes we treat their medical illness and we don't address like uh, their behavioral issues and upstream issues you know, related to uh, the out of the hospital. So, yeah, right. So right now, um, we, we we have a psychiatrist on staff. She kind of um, she's all spread between the other facilities for HS. She goes to San Leandro twice a month after work. But at Alameda, we have a big hospital, and we also have our nursing homes. We need to take care of their behavioral problems too. So we actually tend to test people like more volume. So the ER right now is overstaffed, I would say, and the consult service can be expanded greatly with good results. Strong need, and we can also add, um, you can use the psychology service to add more counseling or therapy on the patient units. There's a lot of opportunities. Well, I think the board is becoming much more, uh, particularly the last year with the accommodations that George and then the presentations on. Um, Historically, working in the ER when we were discharging patients, we could not do very much for them. We couldn't even get them an appointment. We still can barely even get them an appointment before they leave. We couldn't even get guaranteed them a shelter bed at night. There's been a huge lack of services, exactly what you're saying. Um, and this county has had the highest or close to the highest 5150 rate in the state for 15 plus years. And they're now framing it as a culture of care. In reality, it's because we are the only county in the area that does not let ER doctors place holds, for example about dropping them, they can't even place them. And that pressure on law enforcement in the field to place them rather than get called back to do that. 
And I have asked for the actual policy multiple times, and I have one from Hospitals set their own policies on who can drop and start holes, yeah. but then they don't let the other you know, us right. do this. Right. Um, it's very, very, everybody's confused. Like, I, nobody knows what they're allowed to do. Even in Highlands, so, you know, nobody, PR drops don't know what they can, what they can again. Um, I don't even know what they can again. Place them. Drop them. Without psychiatrists, and they drop. Yeah, but they usually call Right, then they don't have the immunity from the code. It says not in person psych evaluation. And I have a, a, something from the team where Aaron Chapman says no, they can't. So that's yeah. Well, I think you know you're raising the fact that we don't have clear processes and that everybody understands them. I think it's an issue that certainly we ought, to, we ought to grapple with, as well as finding more resources for those who are in need of psychiatric care. I think our board, you know, we meet with the supervisors. I think a meeting is coming up, and that might be a really good agenda item. To raise with them is we are concerned about the lack of behavioral services for for the county residents. So that might be something that we can Their um their EQRO report just came out also. Um, they have an you know, the annual EQR external quality review is required by the federal government to evaluate the I think it's the, one of the two waiver programs that they have, maybe the eleven fifteen or the nineteen, like they know. Um, but they have to have it, and so theirs just came out for this year. They haven't released it publicly yet, but it's not good. Yeah, it's really concerned. Next to the middle. Yep, I can send you it. Well, that would be great. Yeah. If you could get that to the board secretary and she would distribute it, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I found it somewhere on their website when I was searching for the 5150 box. Great. Um, just, um, the other thing is that we participated in the uh, certain demonstrations and uh, also the HS management team towards the community. Uh, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Um, I Chair searches in process at the moment, and I believe we have um, made an offer that has been accepted to our anesthesiology chair. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that's Dr. Uh, right. Jordan Newmark is from Stanford. He will be uh, starting around mid July. We'll send an announcement you know, once we uh, have a bunch of him this month and then send an announcement. So that's the uh, first uh, chair. A lot of time. Right. Yeah. 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 
And um, I believe, you know, so psychiatry, maternal child health, and general surgery in process, and um, surgery is managed by UCSF. I, I met with the chair of the search committee yesterday, and uh, we had about 90-minute conversation about uh, what we're looking for here. He actually made it, he has about probably eight or nine candidates, and uh, it would be uh, Dr. Im and myself representing uh, Ireland and Academia System 4, and then once uh, you know we have finalists, we bring them to the Olympics. So you're not, this is for surgery? For surgery, okay. yeah. So you're not going to have a surgeon on the, you're not, you won't have a surgeon on the evaluation kit? There will be a surgeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On our, on our MedEx, there will be a surgeon. More than one. Um, we also had um, at MEC this month, we had our annual um, ACGME report. And uh, we have two residencies internal medicine and emergency medicine. They're both in good standing with full accreditation. We've got the 2021 match results, uh, will be our last month, I believe. And I am told that they went very well. And um, that they're particularly pleased that uh, they will have increased diversity in the incoming there's also similar, I think, to what Dr. Hunter discussed last time, there is an equivalent uh, mandate now that we address resident well-being burnout issues. So hopefully those two processes can go hand in hand. Um, uh, I believe ACGME has specific requirements within that process, and that we'll need to iron out as we build the program. The third item is that um, the three chiefs of staff, uh, I believe, have to identify a nominee for the board seat by June 30th, um, according to your new policies and procedures. Um, I don't know if that made it into, they made it into the final version or not, but it was in the last version I saw. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe you guys have started that discussion. Preliminary, all right. But it is the goal to have it ready for, you know, next month is full. So uh, we're going to be working on that. And the final item, the a bigger one, is that we had our Joint Commission mock survey last week. Uh, and we had several items that were identified. I think, yeah. So one is that the medical staff bylaws need to uh, address uh, self-governance and accountability. We need to um, revise our history and physical wording and updates. This is our new process. We've already revised it. We're just not quite at the approval stage for the whole document yet. This is already something we've addressed. Uh, the next one is that the outpatient HP requirements are not defined, and the plan for that is a new policy, a formal, formal policy will be written. Uh, third, uh, we have a lack of a process to ensure specialty specific privileges for allied health practitioners. And I know this has been something we've been working on for a while um, with credentials and CIDP to revise the privilege forms with the relevant department chairs and division chiefs. The goal to get this completed by May of this year. Oh, committee for the departmental interdisciplinary practice. And what is that like? Um, and these PAs, like it used to be called the physician extenders. Um, Midwives. Yeah, CRMAs. CRMAs. I, I just want to say that uh, Kathy will give a more uh, 
that complete report, I think with Rebecca uh, is stressing are the issues related to the medical staff uh, survey. The things that we're going to solve include for the actual uh, survey. Definitely before the actual <laughs> survey. <laughs> um, and the next one is that our OPP uh, uh, process is, needs to be more clearly defined. I've already brought that up. We are working on that. We've already um, started to make changes. I believe each department is working with quality. Um, our initial drafts are, are, are a good start, but like I said, we still need to fine tune them and make sure they meet all the language of the requirements. And again, the, the last one is also related to OPP, and it was that um, we have to have department specific metrics. We can't just be in the global process system, same process. Um, and so we will need each department to identify you know, outcome measures that are clinically meaningful and measurable. Uh, and incorporate that into our process. And our credentials chair, Dr. Shaw, is our one staff. Um, I could be involved in that also. Opportunities to exercise your leadership. Okay, um, thank you. Um, let me move to tab number seven, which you just were giving us an update on the trauma site visit. Yes, as you know, uh, we had our site visit earlier this month and we got some really good news. They gave us preliminary verification as a level of trauma center. So uh, we went from 19 deficiencies last year to two deficiencies this year. And um, one of them was just a little bit of miscommunication that's already been taken care of. Uh, the second one was that our trauma nurse practitioners needed to go through an ATLS course, which they took Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, two days ago and yesterday. So we'll clean up the paperwork for that, send that into the committee. That uh, report will go to the national committee, and we should get fine lines within three months. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Any other questions? So what does that mean? So, the difference from a medical standpoint is basically we've been providing good quality trauma care for as long as I can remember. The problem is the documentation of that and the program improvement patient safety package, which we just haven't been able to do. So, we finally have put that into place. We have many programs now that we're continually to look at our processes and continue to fine tune them to make our care even better. Um, now we have Reports that say we've been doing that. I mean, that's the main From a public standpoint, it really shows them that, hey, we are number one. We're just as good as any other trauma center nationally and even in the world, and we meet those criteria. Um, yeah, there is um, for billing from every trauma application, you know, we can bill a little bit higher amount. Recuperate some of the costs that it takes to you know, put in the head of the case. Well, enough to buy a bottle of champagne. 
compile and get the word. That's great. No, I, I just, uh, again, you know, want to recognize the teamwork because this is really a model of, uh, of excellence. And, uh, you know, Greg and his team are starting to think beyond the representation right now. We really want to think about building the fellowship program down the line and sustain the excellence like uh, every, every day. So uh, we've been working on the UCSF Toma uh, General Surgery contract in the next phase and, uh, you know, along with the chair recruit. So we have a lot of exciting time ahead of us. Looking forward to improving our population health, injury prevention, all the elderly fall center, we can ramp that up, and some of our death prevention and injury prevention is going to catch up. Looking to collaborate. There's a lot of organizations out there, we need to try to bring everyone together to get a more regional plan for the future. Well, the intertribal one, will that help us? Of relative to, to residents who want to come to us or other doctors who want to serve? Yeah, I was talking to a lot of people about that. I, I think so, but the fact of the matter is, most people in the medical field already think that would love to And so when you talk about it, they go, wait, you're, you're not level one? We always thought you were. And we go, oh, uh, now we're almost apologetic. But now we can say, yeah, we are level one. I think it means a lot to the residents, the, the emergency uh, medicine residents, and also the surgical residents to work at a level of So I, I think it can only help. I, I was uh, in a different meeting yesterday, and it was mentioned once again. I think we've had this slides before, but that 25% of your comments are folks all down. Yeah, we've seen an increase in that. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do. And, and you know, if you look at other trauma centers, some of the models put a lot to the, the, the fire and OPD are out in the field. They can go into the families homes because a lot of it is, is drugs that are loose or, you know, extension cords. And they just, you know, they, they just don't pay attention to things that trip up. So right now we don't have the capacity to do that. So our fall prevention really looks, uh, we use a we and they, Work on their coordination and we get the pharmacist there to look at all the medications. We get a geriatrician there to you know, help manage those things. So it's really more like that. Right. We do have a fall prevention center. We call it a clinic, it's center. center. You know, that seems to me to be a wonderful uh, opportunity for community volunteers to get trained particularly around the issues about that are easy to spot, the little rugs in the kitchen and the, and the cords and stuff. And people being trained as volunteers to go out and help that. Not, I think it is, I think it's like to Well, actually, that does happen um, in some places. There's a... The, um, a lot of the Meals on Wheels programs actually have friendly, what they call friendly visitors. So they'll, um, when they provide Meals on Wheels, and you have to be, in order to be, to be, um, have Meals on Wheels. Trauma team to the ER, we have a level one Trauma team to the ER, we have a level one Be able to be, not be able to leave your home for some reason to get food out. So 
um, the friendly visiting part of Meals on Wheels in some of the area, area does look at those types of things and go in and get trained. You actually get trained on that. Well, I did, thank you, Tracy. I, I have to excuse myself. Thanks for coming in here. But, you know, after somebody comes into our emergency who's had a fall, sending somebody in our organization a volunteer to go into that individual's so it's extended care, go into that individual's home and look around and help them figure out what might be safe. You know, it just bars in the bathtub and I say this because I've dealt with my mother recently who had some of those things and I think, oh mom, please. Well, we just got a grant, KHS just got a grant, or Alameda Alliance just got a grant, um, which AHS is a subgrantee. And so we will be using that um, to do what you, for, for certain populations, for our um, high-risk populations, and for, this is for the, the um, those, those beneficiaries who are in the alliance, who are usually, I think they're almost all dual eligible for um, county, probably, I think it's just for the dual eligible, I think it's a federal program. And so that, that demonstration from the Alameda Alliance is going to do exactly what you suggest, to have people I'm not volunteers, actually. I think um, they're for case management to go out into the home or into the um, of people who are at, at high risk of, of returning or not complying. So these are good rules. Uh, it is uh, for complex care management, uh, community health workers who really just uh, to go and uh, see the conditions and the medical education, reconciliation, uh, environment, so uh, we already have this program, but this trend is going to allow us to extend this program out at PhDs uh, uh, in Hayward and, and Newark. We have the previous one, so we can allow us to extend it. At some future meeting, I would like to hear about the fall sector and the programs. Tomorrow. Sure, absolutely. Maybe during one of our education sessions, you know, we heard 25% of our volume is, is fall related. Really like to hear what we've achieved and what we possibly So, in the presentation at the end of tomorrow, uh, I will lay out how we're going to make this meeting moving forward to bring those performance improvement projects to the board and make the people who are doing these projects to, to be value of their work and what they're doing. So, and on that note, I think it's time to move on with the agenda. Um, this would be done. So, yes, uh, I think uh, uh, we can put the slides. So, this is exactly what uh, how we're going to uh, uh, form this uh, uh, this meeting and presentation to our board. So, we're going to start uh, by our accreditation and uh, regulatory uh, presentation what has happened in the past month. Then we're going to present quality metrics. And I will see what the board also wants to see in the quality metrics. Tomorrow in our streets, uh, we have a brief overview, overview of how CMS and our uh, 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 like federal government is looking in terms of innovation, in terms of quality and value-based purchasing, and what is changing also in terms of regulatory. And then we're going to talk about uh, the patient safety issue in our system, like 
any patient safety issues have happened, one more to know about this. Now, uh, uh, I would like also at uh, some stage to include the dashboard for utilization. We just won't see our trend in terms of utilization. And then we will do this in a sort of quarterly rotation. So every month, the first will be the acute care, then we will do ambulatory care with all these elements, and then we'll do the behavioral health and the post-acute, and then we will pay for the inspection. So we're going to try this out. We'll have more discussion about this format tomorrow, so the board will, will be in agreement with this, just to have, but we want also every uh, uh, QPSC to bring a performance improvement project just five to 10 minutes, like the fall center, uh, like uh, you know, our complex care management program, just to let the people who are doing the work present to the board, you know, what they are doing, and allow the board to have any questions or any suggestions, and they know what is what is going on in those, in those aspects. So uh, I think we can. What's the next slide, please? Uh, so maybe Kathy, you can come. You want to come up front? You can come here. So we have been very, very busy. Uh, a lot of people want to come to the event. By the way, I'm part of the board. Okay, let me inform the board. So, uh, thank you. So, Kathy O'Brien is the director of accreditation and regulatory. Uh, you know, uh, I appointed her as our interim uh, VP for quality. Uh, you know, but uh, all our quality team, they work as a team. Uh, among uh, the team, I have Adrian, who you met. He oversees patient safety and uh, risk. We have Ali Palmer, who oversees quality. And we have Annette Johnson, who looks over analytics. So this is, you know, uh, the team. And uh, we have the infection control director, who's not here. I hope he's here today. Uh, but uh, but Kathy is going to oversee the processes interim, and we are uh, recruiting for the quality. I already have an offer for the candidate. Uh, I will learn uh, about more, you know, in the next week or two. Okay, thank you, Kathy. Uh, yeah. Is that yeah. Okay. So, core has been hit the most. Um, I believe you all heard about the surveys that we've had. So, CDPH came out for their um, every three-year relicensing survey. Between there was eleven surveyors here between March 13th and March 16th. Very good week. Um, we have still not received the final report. CDPH has ten working, their working days to get us the report. They typically don't follow that. Um, so we're still waiting to get the report. Their report out, though, the main focus of their findings were infection prevention. We've already got perfect action plans in place based off of the report out that they gave us. Um, and that's evidenced by the next report, which is CDPH filed a complaint um, with CMS. CMS came out on behalf of that complaint 72 hours after the CDPH survey. and. Actually, but they, they planned a four-day survey and left within a day and a half because the team um, 
worked tirelessly to fix a lot of the things that they had found the week previously. So they were very, very impressed. We still do expect one finding, again, related to infection prevention from that survey. We have, again, not received the final report, but we are working on that confirmed based off the reporting. Yes? Um, the complaint that from, you said you mentioned the complaint is that uh, and CDPH and, and CMS often work together on surveys, but was that kind of unusual to have this this um, CDPH survey, isolated survey, and then have them called in CMS, or is that? No, um, and actually CDPH and CMS, when they come out, they're the same people. So when CDPH so came they out, complain to each other. they complain to each other. <laughs> they came back and they worked. They, there were some pretty high-level findings during the first survey, and they were worried. And so they escalated it, came back out, felt better. They de-escalated um, their feelings about what they had found the week prior. So, and people had asked who called, who complained, and it, they call it a complaint, that it was really them just escalating. From there, um, we had, actually, a leadership had approved, thank you very much, um, my question come out and do a mock survey. Because of the CMS survey, we added an infection preventionist onto the mock survey, which is very, very helpful. So they came out last week, between the 18th and the 21st. Um, they identified many strengths. Um, as you can see here, tenured medical staff, I think they had spoken to somebody who said he was here for about 25 years, and they were like, oh, he's a new <laughs> Very highly engaged leadership. If they found something, people were on it. They were out fixing things. The data presentation, um, and that is an amazing job for the data presentation, which is usually a pretty hard question. Uh, stars for the pharmacy antimicrobial stewardship, and they actually have a trifold that they put out that they want to put on the vacation resource website as a best practice. Um, the dashboard for EOC compliance data. Very simple form that where you can see everything in one spot. Pharmacy leadership again, if they pointed at something, it was fixed before they walked out the door. Pharmacy was on it, um, which leads to the last one: the desire for quickly fixing issues. Opportunities. Um, they sent us a PowerPoint presentation, but it wasn't complete. There were slides and things like didn't want to give you too much information. We haven't gotten the final report. But again, the majority of our findings are still related to infection prevention and providing care. Um, they did um, say that we needed to standardize more, and Dr. Maldi is going to talk about that. We definitely have some plans for standardizing our practices, not just across the organization, but even within for itself. And their statement was that we had a lack of basic comprehension for infection control standards, so we're going to work on really just some basic fundamentals that affect control and hygiene and cleaning of instruments and build that up the industry okay. standards from there. It was, um, which is why, you know, CMS came. But again, they, the CMS felt better and having great commissioner come out here with the focus. They knew where our concerns already were. I had shared with them the this CMS um, report out and the report So they were really digging, which was good. Um, and unlike a regular commission survey where they just kind of come in line, we pointed 
Jacob's research to these issues to see where we were at with them. So we weren't surprised at these findings. It just helps us um, determine our priorities and where to start. So definitely infection prevention and environmental care. The, the high-level disinfection planning, so that goes back to the standardization, kind of the departments are doing it differently instead of we don't have, we didn't have a one set way for how we do high-level disinfection. So we're, def, we're already, again, working on um, their, their verbal report out and standardizing. Every department is not going to be able to do their own thing. In the middle of the Joint Commission Resource um, Survey, we got noticed that our um, agenda had posted to our website. And what that means is that they've accepted, they reviewed and accepted our application and are putting their team together to send them out. So our window for survey is open anyway. Um, this just kind of heightens our awareness to that. And I apologize, there's some errors on this slide because it changed from yesterday to today. Um, they originally planned a six-day survey. They gave us the option to make the, the uh, hours in the day for the survey longer to make the week shorter. So we would accepted that. Um, so it is going to go back to a four-day survey. There will be one behavioral health specialist for one day. Life safety will be here for four days, which is different. They're typically here for one. Um, we anticipate two nurses, two physicians, one looking at acute care and one looking at ambulatory care. And they may, there's a potential that they would put on an infection prevention specialist if they get the CMS report before they come in. What does life safety mean in that? So that's somebody working really closely with our engineer. They're literally walking around with um, ladders and flashlights and poking up in the ceilings and looking at um, all of our electrical and lighting, every, everything, the building structure. Environmental care and the safety, uh, fire safety doors and uh, maps and exits and agencies. And that's so those two things, behavioral health and life safety, in addition to the usual other people. Yeah, that's what that means. Yeah, is this related to the new um, requirements for the life safety comply with per Yes. There's been a lot of changes for life safety in the past, just the past couple of months. But the focus is, as you can tell, going from one day to four days, the focus is really shifted life safety and emergency management. Classically, the uh, citations throughout the nations have been in environmental care and yeah. life safety, and uh, that's why they have uh, sort of upgraded uh, or changed their methodology from more stringent. They also changed, and, and this is very, very high level, um, they changed their scoring matrix. Um, so this is how they're going to score us now. It's going to be based on um, the threat to harm and the, the scope. So before, and I'll get into it, um, it was like, you've heard us say, oh, they only found that once, so it's okay. If they, if they don't find it again, we won't be cited. Every single thing they see now gets cited, and then it will go on this plot, and then our report will come with all of our findings plotted out. Obviously, if it goes the higher, it goes and higher, and moreover, it goes this way, the worse it is. If we get findings, we lock them down in the nice little yellow part. That means it's um, 
limited in its scope and low risk to the patient. Um, in short, what that means is there's no more A score, C score. So A score was one and you were done. C score things were the, okay, if they don't find this again, they're not going to find us. Now it's based on the safer metrics. We used to have, depending on what they found, 45 days or 60 days to respond. Everything now is a 60-day response, unless they're giving us a preliminary denial, and that's 45 days. Um, we used to have to submit data, so after we submitted our corrective action plans, we had to submit what they called measures of success. So we'd say, here is our corrective action plan, and 45 days later, we had to submit data to show that we maintained compliance. They're not doing that anymore. So we have to submit a corrective action plan showing that we are in full compliance at the time of the corrective action plan submitted, and then they accept it. There were requirements for improvement, or what they called RFIs, and then opportunities for improvement. There are no more opportunities. One finding, and it's, a and it's an RFI. The other large change that Joint Commission has made is, um, and I'm going to clear up some terminology here, Joint Commission has what they call standards, and under each standard is an element of performance, or an EP. CMS has a condition, and under each condition they have a standard. You really should change the terminology, not to be so confusing, but if Joint Commission finds a CMS condition level citation, the citation falls under leadership and they are required to come back out for a second survey within 45 days. Um, almost all infection control findings fall under a condition level. Because the CMS condition level for infection prevention just states that you will maintain um, a safe environment at, at the infection control. So almost everything falls into that right condition. Um, human resource, a lot of human resources funding would fall into the condition level. But um, what? So if somebody wasn't certified for the procedure that they were licensed Yeah, if, if my license expired last month and I'm still working or we didn't do PSV on somebody, that would be a condition level finding. This is a standard level finding. Um, it's just, it knocks it up. It's a leadership. So when we write the corrective action plan, where we normally would put, oh, the, the manager of the you know, OR is the person responsible, I have to put somebody's name, like Luis or Del Vecchio, as the owner for that corrective action plan. So they're really, the, the shift has really changed to leadership. What's the staff don't have to reduce that, that statement about uh, lack of comprehension of the question? So, what is, you know, what is the process that you're using? So, John and uh, a team of other people, myself, Frank, the control, the OR, um, of other people get together three times a week. It was every day, and now we're down to three days a week to work on each of the corrective action plans. We've called together a team uh, to focus on infection prevention and high level disinfection to put together that standard. Thank you. Well, I, I was really interested in the next level down is how this gets disseminated to people who are who may not be cleaning the instruments or washing their hands or whatever. So uh, I'm I mean, I know there's a team that's going to go out, but what does that team do to implement and instruct, teach the rest? 
So right now, we're um, putting together the competencies. We didn't have a lot of the competencies in place, so we're developing the competencies. We're hiring um, a sterile processing manager. We're looking at hiring a, a carry officer who's educator. Is that kind of Watching and uh, redefining the process, redefining standard work as it reflects on everyday work, and having checklists and holding people accountable, and uh, and uh, really uh, checking and observing and see if there is no compliance. Like working our own, I mean, this dashboard that you showed, we, we should, us the managers and the leadership. We should do it every day, and when it's not happening, we have to ask five why questions, and then see what we do. So that's that's basically the question. So there are processes that really have to be redesigned, and we are going to do that. And, and our standard work and accountability has to be on them, like hour to hour, many to many basis. And this is this is. There is also you know restructuring and governance that we are talking about. You know, infection control and relationship between various uh, leaders of infection control and nursing and protection. So do you see this, Dr. Dan, as it's a six to eight month process and then, and then it's a matter of once you have institutionalized processes, it's the, uh, the way you describe it, day to day, monitoring, hour by hour. What? I'm just trying to get my head around the idea of, I think this sounds big to me. And, and so I'm trying to, so, I mean, it sounds big. And, and if, in fact, you think you're going to be doing this in two weeks, I'm going to say there's no way that that's going to happen, that you're going to have everybody trained who touches patients or handles instruments trained in a two-week period of time. So. I was just trying to understand what processes you used to go through to improve the condition. Um, so, so uh, I mean, the, the prioritization as far as like impact on the patient safety, whatever we need to do, we have to do it today. Even if we have to move walls, we have to move walls. You know, we have to change the people, change the people. So, as far as that, like that's seen what happened in those 72 hours in the. There are issues in infection control is how we are monitoring and how is the data going to respond and how is it going to avoid customers. And this is, I think, you know, our gap is the monitoring dashboard. I need to see the monitoring dashboard at every single level. I need to have a dashboard 
of uh, what is our compliance in terms of uh, doing the right process in every case 100%. So there are areas where sometimes you can't do it 100%, and there are areas where you cannot be except 100%. As far as infection control, it's it's almost like uh, putting the seatbelt, right? So uh, you know when you don't put the seatbelt, there is an alarm and you can get the ticket, and it's dangerous. Though you know you might not get into an accident on your life. So there are areas where we have to ensure that we have these processes monitored and complied for every single day, and that's what we are uh, like building in terms of the dashboard, like uh, you know in. in in the, our current state, and, and this is going to come also, you know, in terms of dashboard, infection control, what's, what's our dashboard in terms of compliance and adherence, all these processes. So we have the processes that gradually built, we had some changes in terms of the, uh, 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 the cluttering in the rooms, which we have already done, and we have also some training and adherence that has to be done on a day-to-day level. So I, I am, I mean, these things keep me up at night, but uh, uh, I am more reassured now, but I want to ensure that I am going in the future in a very highly compliant way in infection control. And this is this is what we have been really working on consistently with, uh, with operation, nursing, and infection control. I would just think, like, you know, the CDPA, CMS, the um, Joint Commission Board, almost end up using and including all of this, um, you know, at the spaces which it's happened, right? We know the, the splashbacks of all of those are the instrument separations and things, but kind of almost, I, I just envision almost like a public education campaign, yeah. like system wide, like, this has got to, like, there's each really prompted, you know, basics is such was a little scary sure, like, that, because you can see in very high, you know, GI areas somewhere in my that, but this almost implies that it's system work. It wasn't the one response that they needed. So it's like system work in some kind of teaching people are there, but almost like lunch and lots in the afternoon, something or the other, like. Constant, continuous, ongoing, and spread through every every corner. Have you looked at other organizations that face similar challenges out there and how they've achieved success, especially in regards to the anti-G? I know there are a lot of other systems out there that have that issue, right? Blotting out there as well. And they were very creative. And some of these very creative programs were very successful. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, actually, we monitor hemp hygiene and we know where our gaps are throughout the system and we address it. And hemp hygiene is, is not a major issue in this. Uh, it is many standardizations of the process. Just to give you an example, uh, like our cystoscopes are sterilized in a different way uh, in the OR and in ambulatory care. It should be one way. That's, that's an example, and it should be really monitored, it should be centralized. Uh, uh, our endoscopes, they are sterilized in a very effective way, you know, in the ambulatory care area. But 
they are serialized in an effective way, but a different way in the OR. We began to standardize this and to have one team doing the same thing and checking the box, and we see it up to us, you know, on, on a regular basis. Uh, so these, these are like the, the main... So that's they stopped one of the people that asked, you know, about training and putting cancer infection, you know, in, a, in, a, in an effective way, you know, saying, I was trained, I do this, and I follow the instructions, I go through the checklist, so these are other things. And in some of the areas, as we know, one, one of the findings, believe it or not, was that we were cleaning too much. Um, yeah. So instead of just, you know, Lighting it down and putting it in the box and sending it over and having it sterilized with that, we were like soaking it and cleaning it and spread, like, we were doing too much stuff to it. That's not good either. So, so sometimes when we say you know we get these findings, you know we are too far overboard, or maybe not enough, or maybe it was you know we skipped like these things. So there was never a point because we would have gotten what they call it a day, where you know we were using dirty and we were using the scope and stuff like that. Um, so I just want to be clear yeah. about that. That would have definitely been much, much more uh, bigger findings. But like I said, everybody who came out noticed that every finding people were on it, people were jumping on it, resources were, were given. Um, I, I just got an email from Don and somebody said, I'm having problems. He's like, well, move the wall if you need to. I mean, they're, they're really acting on this. And, and while, you know, the huge investment <coughs> the program, might take a couple of months. What we're what we can fix immediately is being fixed immediately. I would um, I'm I'm surprised just because I would expect that, especially in the future, especially with the new tower, we would be we would have in terms of the facilities, we would have more. Um, we would we would be doing better because we have a, a new facility with less um, environmental. So most of the findings, most of the findings were actually now that I'm thinking about it, um, not in the town. Um, they were in the, the older parts, uh, OR, SPD, which aren't in the new. Right, right, and I say that because I remember during commission at Alameda Hospital, and a lot of it was due to the age of the building, like where things were located, yeah. um, and how hard it was to get from one place to another, mm -hmm. with either with so I'm going to, um, as as always with quality, there's a lot to say, but I'm going to try to be brief and, and to the point. And So just to give you a high level of our value-based programs um, that we have talked a little bit about here, but I just wanted to a quick review on that. The Hospital Readmissions Reduction Program is a program that looks at um, selected high-cost uh, conditions um, and to limit re uh, readmission of those. The Hospital Value-Based Purchasing Program uh, combines measures from safety, um, areas as well as clinical as well as patient experience that's where our patient experience falls and then our hospital acquired conditions or the HAP program we've talked a little bit about uh, uh, related to that and that has the emphasis of reducing um, adverse events 
conditions that patients didn't come into the hospital with as they left the hospital, something different. And then again, just a, um, this just kind of goes into a little bit more detail of how the um, hospital fire conditions program includes those patients or PSI indicators, those ones in 990, but also some of the ones that are related to infection control, central line infections, or catheter-associated infections and other types of infections. So when we look at some of the PSI 90 patient safety and adverse events, you can see here fiscal year 17 year to date, just number of events. Um, the key point is the national percentile, that's our end goal. Obviously, we have some um, some areas of opportunity there when we look at the, um, these numbers. And this is just pertaining to the PSI 90 patient safety. And so just to highlight in PSI 90, they have made some changes. And the changes are not only the number of components that they're looking at, they're from 8 to 10. And we have some more detail that we'll share with you tomorrow related to this. But um, the weighting is different. It's not just the raw number of events that happen, but they take into the severity of it as well. So. Um, some risk adjustment, if you will, there. And um, then um, there was some changes in uh, specifically to the accidental laceration um, and, and how they define it, um, which probably in the long run will benefit us. Yes? When you, when you look at the seven, 17 and the system, the number of events, uh -huh. how does that number of events compare to the number of events that occurred four years ago? Four years ago, I, I have to check. I don't know if you're talking about that. In some areas, better than. Yeah, Karen has, I mean, if you look at the total numbers, score number, Karen has shown the companies. Uh, I don't have that slide, but uh, the harm, well, harm has, has decreased. Oh, overall, harm has decreased, yes, but you're asking specifically for some of those, the particular elements in that category. Well, I, 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 yes, I, yes. Was, I was really trying to get at. Uh, because we've been working on harm since I've been on the board. Right. So, and I'm sure you've been working on it before I ever got here. Yeah. And is this something that is, is indicative of any organization that there's going to be harm and we just need to get over it? Or um, is this something that says to me, there is lacking a systemic infusion of how you reduce harm. Because I, I don't see these, these conversations have been going on for four years and I don't see any giant change. So right. what, why not? Is it turnover in staff? Is it lack of, are they changing the metrics? And so that, that that shifts things, and so it looks it looks worse than it than it really is. And we got that growth. I just can't get my head around this thing. And we've been talking about harm for a long time. Can I, I think it's, can I answer a very relevant question? I think we can get a slide connect about the harm reduction. So this is, I mean, in a simple answer, we have really reduced harm uh, much much better place than we were years back. However, the world has got better as well. When you look at the national, maybe the world or nation has gotten better than we do. So 
that's in a simple answer. I mean, when we compare to the nation, national agreements, what we try to do here, uh, and that's based on a question actually from the board that came here. He said, I remember the question came, how do we compare nationally and how every facility is doing uh, just as a system? And that's why we wrote this slide. So we have improved, however, you know, we still need to catch up with the rest of the nation. And, and we know the areas where we have to catch up. I mean, we can talk in the future about performance improvement, like the prophylaxis, restorations now also, uh, we have been reporting them, but, uh, you know, investigating them and looking into their prevention, you know, at physician level in a more proactive way. Also, now the reporting structure is going to change. When it changes, it changes for everybody. Those are like the main two areas that really uh, we, we, we have uh, opportunities uh, for improving them. So we get a little bit more into details and we link them to performance improvement. Do you want to add anything, Eileen, about this? Well, I was just going to say that I think that it's um, the potential is always going to be there, that we improve our processes. Um, and so it's, we have to be ever vigilant um, to it. It's never going to go away. We can be the best of the best, but we're still going to have to be so the other area uh, that we're going to just talk briefly about is our uh, patient experience. In their patient experience, excuse me. And so this slide is just a reviewing rate the hospital. This is really the good news that you look at these numbers, and I know that we've um, got and talked about this in the past as well. Um, hourly rounding. Is, is helping to really drive this most significantly. Um, one item that I wanted to introduce, case mix index. So, and we'll be including this more in um, our reporting. So, CMI is a, is a value that's assigned to the diagnostic-related groups in, um, in a way to help understand um, a group of patients and and the the care that they're receiving um, and it's used in um, in helping to allocate resources um, as well as to understand and um, the the severity that your patient is at at that time and so I'm going to show you a slide that um, is somewhat busy, but I'll orient you. Up in the left-hand corner is our system numbers, and then we have Highland, Cialindro, and Alameda. The dark uh, black um, intermittent line dash is, is the, the benchmark that we're striving for. And then obviously the colors uh, uh, are our performance over time. Basically what that means is how sick are the patients? How sick are the patients, yes. So yes. How many complicating conditions do they have that make it harder to take care of them or that makes their risk level higher while they're in the hospital? And if you have really, really not very sick patients and it takes you a really long time to take care of them, then your length of stay becomes kind of higher than the average. Whereas if you're comparing people who are much sicker, then your length of stay starts to make sense. And the problem that we often have is that we under or under-document 
we think, the doctors think, that we under-document the complexity of our patients. In other words, you have somebody in this here for a gallbladder, but if that person also has diabetes and uh, heart failure and so on, that expected length of stay will be higher, but we often forget to write down those other medical problems. So, so help me understand where San Leandro had, had the biggest improvement in some, uh, of, of patient satisfaction. No, yeah. if you look from here to here, so you go from 62% to 67%. This What's is the, the goal? This is the actual. So the ethics are in the red. I was just wondering if the average length of stay like compared to the other hospitals, whereas any other hospital you see what you expected and what is actually happening is that patients are being diagnosed. Yeah. So, so I was like, maybe, is, is, is that why they are not satisfied? Like, you know, they, they, you, they expect to be everything just charged from earlier than? So it's, it's a very relevant question. I, uh, you know, I actually uh, have not determined, but uh, I noticed this, that our average length of stay in San Diego is shorter, and uh, we have uh, more more uh, readmissions. So I need to look at this. Now, in our readmission data mining, I will be giving the report for the chief of staffs and the chairs to look at cases by cases in terms of readmission. And again, in terms of documentation, uh, as uh, we are evolving this uh, score board, we will have CMI by physicians and by services. So we will have a scoreboard about the outliers and we'll be able to adjust accordingly as we are providing education about documentation. But at least, you know, now we are starting. The question is very relevant. Are we discharging patients earlier at San Diego? Are they coming back and are they unhappy about So that's very, very important. So we can certainly look into that. I would offer that in terms of the um, the satisfaction scores, there are key drivers. There are things that Prescanning tells us are the factors that are most likely to improve our scores if we were to address those. And so we, we look at those on a regular basis. Um, the scores for San Leandro recently have actually gone up pretty dramatically. So for the past two periods, our scores have, have gone up. What we've noticed, though, is that we've been inconsistent. And so the month prior, we had a fairly low score. So we're looking to maintain the gain, if you will. And so I've been talking to Vicky Ardito, who is the director of nursing, about how do we sustain the gains that we've seen in the past two months so we don't have the, the picket fence, if you will, where we're up for a while and then we're down. But um, we have seen some recent successes that are well above the, uh, the target for the, the months, so the two most recent four months. Right, and, and I don't think that San Leandro's rate of readmissions is high. So um, I mean, isn't true that they're so, so we have, I mean, I have to, I have to look at this. Uh, I have to, what do you think, I mean, I, I can't call. Uh, you have to look at the Yeah, I do. Yeah. Can you not go? We'll, we'll come. We'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah. But uh, 
In terms of San Leandro and uh, patient satisfaction, I think, you know, uh, James is, is totally correct. And, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I think, infection control, I have looked at their dashboard recently. They are really, uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good compliance dashboard in terms of infection control. Uh, I, I attended your MedEx last time, you know, I looked at the scores, it was quite good. I think it was two, two Mondays ago, not that Sunday. Dr. Jamal, are you, tomorrow at our retreat, are right. these, are these the measurements you want us to continue to look at, or are these? So, I think in the acute care facilities, these are important measurements that should be on our dashboard. I like to supplement them also with some more utilization uh, measurement. Like what are our number of discharges? How are they trending? What are our number of PD admissions? What are our number of denials? Uh, and how, how are they trending? We call them administrative days. So I'm trying to develop this dashboard. With, uh, so those are the things we'll talk about tomorrow? We'll talk more about them tomorrow, yeah. And, and, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the value-based purchasing. May, may I offer just one other piece of information about the infection control and so on? Gloria Przelinski is the infection prevention leader at uh, San Diego Hospital. So yesterday she um, was giving awards for departments that exceeded the expectations in terms of the um, hand cleaning compliance. And so one of the things that, that you asked was, how are you pushing information and best practices out to the staff? And so we do observations, and so she has awards that now are being yeah. given out to various departments and various departments. They're going to different departments. And so this is really about um, reminding the caregivers that this is the expectation and then acknowledging those who are um, exceeding the, the standards. So that's something that we're doing um, at community-based hospitals, and I'm sure they've been doing it at the, at the core as well, to um, really give a tangible recognition to those who are doing well. And she shows the entire um, span of departments, and so those that are below the line are being noted as well. They don't get an award, but you see them. So I just, uh, uh, just uh, sorry, James, uh, related to, to the dashboard, I think, you know, by, by CMS regulation, this should pass with an experts, and then comes up here. But it, it, I mean, this is a discussion that we need to have, so they they, they pop. About, you know, James and uh, I mean, Vicky should be here. She can talk about her quality, and then this is this is you know in terms of future state how we can talk about. So we are officially uh, past time now, but we have a little bit more to go. Okay. Are you finished? I'm done. I'm done. Okay. So I apologize the readmission meeting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Annie. Just a follow-up on the beta part. So we completed the beta heart survey and our initially our um, participation was low, so we were unable to extend the survey for an extra week. We closed the survey out on 423. And to give you guys a, just a little bit of background on what the survey is, it's a combination of the culture of safety survey, which we have done previously, with some questions regarding employee engagement. And it's part of the bigger art program that we're uh, embarking on, which is really our focus on how we respond to harm events with patients, how we support and care for the caregivers involved in witnessing those events, and how we disclose 
unsettled the families in a more timely and earlier fashion to reduce um, to reduce the um, financial um, piece that, that Almi the health system um, inherits in any claim, and also to maintain and increase the trust we have with the patients. When, when is, this a, is this a, a, a compliance requirement, or do you do the survey? What what where does this stand from? So the culture of safety survey is a is a is a compliance requirement, and we but we have we embarked on a program with Data Healthcare, our med management company, to uh, to develop a just culture. Yes, to to introduce a just culture and to embark on the Data Health program um, to to work around uh, early resolution. So we again, uh, the joint commission about two weeks ago published that to make it a requirement moving forward every two months until four months have been the new sense of There's a similar, uh, a similar effect happening at Tony Andrew and Almeida, and I also think that it reflects our journey towards integration. That, that, that we're moving in the right direction, and that Alameda and Tony Andrew both are moving towards becoming more integrated with us as a system, but they're still on that journey. So I, think it required, I think it requires those two things. Can I just answer this question as related to the positions? Because I was really digging into it. I think we should have communicated, I think this on, on my part, uh, we should have communicated this actually these positions. We have three medical staff. How many is each? Uh, yeah. 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 And uh, I, I think we need, we need a better tool of communication. The other part here at Thailand, the residents, communication with the residents, I think, could have done better. And then again, this is on, on my part. To communicate the meaning of the survey and to uh, communicate to the physician leaders and the junior office continuous communication. I know Adrian kept sending email and kept using email. We needed to have a more frontline, you know, uh, engagement and new status for people to get the survey. I don't think there was fear from the position, but I feel uh, they, they just, you know, needed to communicate this back. Let me just because I'm one of those people that I barely got it done on the wire. And it's just in your inbox, it's in your email, and you go, oh, I have to click on that, and it's going to take me about 15 minutes, and I, I just have to do it. And, I, and I'm like the most enthusiastic position we have here about participating in things like that because it's like aware of all of this, you know, bottom of the background. And it just, it's just sitting down to do it in, in a way that it's so powerful to the day-to-day -day taking care of patients and what you're doing, and so people just don't get around to it. Okay, the, the question that I was going to ask, and you don't have to answer it, but it's something for you to thinking about, is 
how do you as an organization assess the fact that you are over uh, what do I call uh, administrative? You know, teachers would get on me all the time about, my God, we can't teach. We're always filling out your bloody surveys. So you take a look at your organization and you say, you know, they're right. We're surveying because we have this program that requires this, and we have this program that requires this, etc. And so what you find is you find a decline in participation because people go, oh my God, I'm surveyed to death. When are they going to get off my back? And I can... So how do you assess which surveys are the critical ones to be answered and those that are not? And if they're not, why don't you get rid of them? So you don't have to answer that. I think it's something that you need to mull on. But that's based on the experience of what I would call bureaucratic overload. I've been sent back. There it is. Whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah. Communication yeah. overhead. Yeah. 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 Other things that are going on in 
hospitals. Um, but I obviously do put that somewhere in But the, as far as that counter, we'll just keep it becoming a living document. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Well, we're going to work a little bit more tomorrow on our retreat about trying to put a more comprehensive overall detail. So that's great to have that. Well, this is uh, in the category of like the performance improvement design programs, like the thing like, uh, you know, the digital care and hashing data is, is not only hashing data, it is really analytics and performance improvement and, and, and changing the dial on safety. So exactly. let me bring it here. I saw their presentation. It's, it's like 10 minutes presentation. But these are things that I see sometimes that I just think that all of them find them useful. Yeah, I, I just want to let well, tell the board that we really value your questions. You know, your fresh eyes coming, you know, you sort of represent the community and represent, you know, our governing bodies. So these questions are extremely important. That you are putting, and I really appreciate. I just want to tell you that. I'd like to see at some point in time that people should have been and let people know what it was working out of that. I think that's the start of the argument for people in right now. Yeah. All right, I think we are ready to adjourn. Do we have any public comment? No public comment. Yeah. Yes. I'm working in the 